1 John chapter 2, verse 28, and just want to say I'm thankful to have Pastor Victor Scholar with us from Lexington, Kentucky. Pastor Victor has been in Lexington for, what, almost 12 years? And uh, so he is from this area, went to the Master's Seminary, uh, taught at the Los Angeles Bible Training School, and he has been a real blessing in my life, so I'm grateful to have him uh, with us today. First John chapter 2, beginning at verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who also practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your amazing grace. And we pray that as we consider these marvelous words that have come forth from your mouth, that we might once again see how amazing your grace is. Thank you for our great salvation in Jesus Christ. Thank you now for the privilege of hearing from heaven. Speak to our hearts and to our minds and to our lives. Remove all distractions from us so that we might not only hear your word, but also might do it. We pray this in the name of our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And you can be seated. What do you want to be true of you when Jesus appears? In your ideal world, if you are living when Jesus comes again, what do you want to be doing at that point in time? You do know that he is coming. You do know that he can come at any time. Do you want him to appear while you're using words as weapons 
to hurt others with the things that come out of your mouth? Do you want him to appear while you're watching something inappropriate on TV or on your device? Do you want him to appear while you're walking in the good works that God has established for you? We do not give enough time or thought to our spiritual condition when Jesus comes again. We don't think about that enough like we should. And that's why the passage that I just read, 1 John 2.28 through chapter 3, verse 3, is so important. Because in these verses, the Apostle John gives us some advice on what our spiritual condition and state and action should be when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. He gives us apostolic advice regarding what we should be doing when he comes, when he appears again. When Jesus appears, John, apostolic advice is make sure that you are abiding in Christ. Make sure that you are staying in Christ, that you are remaining in Christ. Make sure that you are residing in Christ. To put it another way, make sure that you are not an absentee tenant when it comes to your residency in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the point that John is making in verse 28 when he writes, and now, little children, abide in him. That is, abide, continue, remain in the Lord Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, John informed us about the last hour. Today, he informs us about when Jesus appears. And John informs his readers, whom, whom he dearly loves, who are very precious to him. He, he informs them to abide in Christ. Now, that should seem like a strange command to us. And the reason why I say that is at the end of the sermon last Sunday, John says in verse 27 that you, to his readers, you abide in Christ. He tells his readers that they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he's been telling them this one way or the other throughout chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 6, he says, if you abide in him, you ought to walk in the same manner as Christ walked. Uh, he says in chapter 2, verse 10, the one who loves his brother abides in the light. In chapter 2, verse 17, he says the one who does the will of God abides forever. John loves that word abides. And one thing that it's clear from his writing is that every true Christian, every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ abides, remains, and continues in Christ. 
You've heard the phrase before, in Christ. It is a wonderful, marvelous truth that the children of God are in Christ. Well, if we're in Christ, why does John command us in this verse to abide in Christ? If I'm already abiding in Christ, what's the purpose? What's the goal for the command to abide in Christ? And there is a tension there. But what John is getting at is that we need to practice our position. We need to practice our position. Positionally, I'm in the Lord Jesus Christ. Practically, I need to demonstrate that and manifest that and live that day in and day out. Marvelous truth. I'm in Christ. But there needs to be a corresponding response to that, that I'm living and abiding and remaining in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're a child of God, you're in Christ. But the command to you as a child of God is abide in Christ. And what that means that I'm to be so close, so intimate with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That I'm to have a personal, intimate, close relationship with Christ. So close that the songwriter says that there should be nothing between the believer in Christ. And I realize we don't sing that song, but it's a precious song that's entitled Nothing Between. Nothing between my soul and the Savior so that his blessed face may be seen. Nothing preventing the least of his favor. Keep the way let nothing between. And that's what John, in essence, is saying. That there ought to be this intimate, close relationship between the child of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that there's nothing at all that is between the child of God and Christ. You, you might ask, what are some of those things that can come between Christ and the child of God. The the song says it could be the world's delusive dream. People are chasing and running after the dreams of this world. And, And what it causes is separation. It causes something between Christ and the believer. People can't worship God on Sundays because they're chasing a dream that the world is offering. What else can come between? Sinful pleasure, worldly pleasure. Oftentimes, that's what comes between me and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what makes it difficult and hard for me to have that intimate, close relationship with Christ because of sinful and worldly pleasures. The song even mentions habits of life and hard trials. And so John is saying, nothing, 
Absolutely nothing is to be between the believer and Christ. Abide in Christ. Why? What's the goal of that command? And make sure you don't miss the goal. Make sure you just don't go out and try to abide in Christ because it's some kind of rule or ritual or regulation. Be motivated for the right reason to abide in Christ. And John says again in verse 28 that the goal of the command is that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. That's what our text is saying. That is the reason we abide in Christ. So that we might reach the goal of nothing between us and Christ, or to put it in the words of the Apostle John, that we might have confidence at his coming. Or to put it another way, that we might not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. And John raises the possibility that when Christ comes, there are two possibilities. I can have confidence, or I can shrink away in shame at his coming. And my friends, he's not writing this to all human beings. He's writing this to the children of God. He's writing this to those that he's addressed as little children. Christians, when Jesus appears, there are two possibilities. One, you can have confidence. You can have boldness. You can have a courageousness. You can have a freedom of speech of being in his presence. But there's another possibility. And that possibility that when Jesus comes, you can shrink away in shame. That you can run away from him, that you can back away from him and not welcome and not embrace the Lord Jesus Christ coming in appearance. John knows that Jesus will appear John knows that Jesus is coming. But the challenge is that the goal that he wants for his little children is that when Jesus comes, that we can be in his presence at his coming with boldness and confidence, with assurance, not with arrogance, not with pride, but with assurance that God has worked in our life and I'm looking forward to him and I want to embrace him. But there's another picture, and it's a very graphic picture. It's a picture that lets us know that when he appeared, we will be held accountable. And that other picture is that we can shrink away. We can run away. We can go hide. We can be like Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden. Remember how they enjoyed face-to-face fellowship with God. They got to be in the presence of God. 
And then they sinned. And then God came to see the guilty pair. And what did they do? They ran away. They hid themselves. Seeking to hide from the God who's everywhere present at all times. That's the picture. That's a reality that children of God can shrink away in shame when Jesus comes again. Abide in Christ. Remain in Him. Continue in Him. Have an intimate and personal close relationship with Him. And before John gives his second piece of advice, he he wants to pause for a moment and help us to consider who Jesus Christ is and what the ramifications of that is in verse 29. He, He wants us to think about being born of God. He wants us to think about the new birth because when he gets to chapter 3, verse 1, he's going to emphasize being children of God. Those who are born again, those who are born of God, they become the children of God. They are the children of God. But John says, I want to remind you of the evidence of how you know that you are a child of God, that you've been born of God. He says, if you know that he is righteous, that is, that Christ is righteous, and we do know that, don't we? We we learn that from chapter 2, verse 1. And John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. But if anyone sins, we have a paraclete, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And now we come to this verse. John says, if you know, and he assumed that his readers really do know that Jesus is righteous. And if you know that, then it goes without saying that everyone who practices righteousness is born of God. Those two go hand in hand. If Jesus Christ is righteous, then that ought to lead you to the conclusion, to the experience that those who practice who live righteously are the ones who are born of God. But with this in mind, John says, abide in Christ. Have an intimate, personal relationship with Christ. Make it your goal, make it your aim in life each and every day to don't allow anything to come between you and the Savior. That's how we should be living in light of the fact that he will appear. When Jesus appears, John's second piece of apostolic advice is make sure you behold God's love. Make sure that you behold God's love. That is, 
when Jesus comes and your life is summed up at that time, may it be summed up that you have considered and reflected all the days of your life about God's love. From the start of your Christian life to the end of your Christian life, may it be said of you, make sure that it can be said of you, that the, the love of God for you has been your preoccupation, that it has been the thing that you have considered and contemplated and, and thought about. Not just one moment, not just at the communion service, not just when we sing a song, but, but my whole Christian life should be summarized as the fact that I behold God's love. Another command is given in verse 1 of chapter 3. And I want us to see the whole verse. Look at your Bible. Look at what John said. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. John commands his readers to see, to behold, not using your physical eyes, but using your spiritual eyes, using the eyes of your heart. John says, I, I want you to see, I want you to behold, I want you to fasten your spiritual eyes on a particular object. And the object that I want you to see is how great a love the Father has bestowed upon believers. John, John says, just take that in. Think about it, reflect upon it, see with your spiritual eyes, how great a love God has given to those who are believers in Jesus Christ. And when you look at that object, you will see a love that is divine. It's God's love for us. You will see a manifested love. It's God's love that he has given. It's not just a thought in his mind. It's not just an attitude in his heart. When it comes to this love, this love has been bestowed. This love has been given. There is concrete evidence of the action of God in loving. And this love is a divine love. This is the highest possible love that is being spoken of. But the other thing that is pointed out about this love, it's an out-of-this-world love. When John says, what sort of love, how great of love, he's using a term that could refer to being out of this country. And he's saying that God's love is so extraordinary that God's love is so magnificent and marvelous. God's love is so wonderful and amazing that it's out of this world. I, I hope you 
get a sense of that. I hope you realize that when we talk about God's love, that it's not some abstract idea, but God's love has actually been bestowed upon believers in that we comprehend the immensity, the enormity of God's love. It's a great, 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 great love. And John says, I just want you to pause and sit down. Really, John says, I want you during the whole of your life just to be taking in how great a love the Father has bestowed upon you. Now, John doesn't want to speak in generalities. He's saying, look, I know that we could stop and just talk about God's love in so many general and wonderful ways. But John says, I want you to see a particular aspect of God's love. I want you to zoom in on a particular phase of God's love. And what is it, John, that you want us to zoom in on? That God calls us his children. That we are called by God. The, the children of God. And if that doesn't amaze you, if that doesn't cause you to be astonished at God's love and God's grace, then you're arrogant. Then you're full of pride. Because none of us in any way are deserving of the love of God. None of us deserve in any shape, form, or manner to be named, to be called children of God. None of us can, can stand before Almighty God and, and, and say, God, I deserve you naming me as your children, as your child. That is absolutely mind-boggling that sinful men and women and boys and girls who repent of their sin and put their faith in Christ is called a child of God. Implying that we've been born of God, that we've been saved, that we've been given new life. And John said, we just need to put that under the microscope and see it up close. And then marvel and be amazed and astonished at how great of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Do you comprehend, do you grab and grasp what God had to do in order to make you and me a child of God? Do you understand the magnificent plan of redemption that needed to be executed for God to be able to come to you and come to me and say that we are children of God? That required God in eternity past planning for our salvation. And in time and history, sending his son, Jesus, into the world. 
conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit, being born, living a perfect life, going to the cross without sin and dying in your place and in my place, being buried and raised from the dead. It required not only that, it required in time and history, God using the gospel in our life to show us our sinfulness, to show us that we are in need of a Savior and that Christ is the only one who can save. And the Spirit of God moving on us, removing the blinders so we can see the glorious gospel of Christ and enabling us to turn from our sins and put our faith in Christ. All that is assumed when God has the audacity, the, 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 the grace to name us and to call us children of God. That's a wonderful, magnificent picture. Just a small picture of the love of God, of God's love that he's bestowed upon us. Obviously, we can use our whole life as Christians and keep looking and keep examining this love that God has given toward us. And so because we are the children of God, it's not just that he calls us children of God, we are the children of God according to verse 1. And that changes and alters our relationship to the world. The world doesn't know us because the world doesn't know our Father, doesn't know our Savior. If they had known the Savior, they would know us. But it does not know the Savior, so it doesn't know us. The song, the love of God is greater far, tries to capture how great of love the Father has bestowed upon us. The songwriter says, could we with ink the ocean filled. So just picture what he's saying. Here's an ocean. If we were to fill that ocean with ink and were the skies of parchment made. So the whole sky, all of the sky was a parchment that we could write on. Were every stalk on earth a quill, a pen, and every man a scribe by trade. If all of us we're scribes that we could write, take that quill, take that pen, and write. To, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Do you hear that? All of us writing and, and writing about the love of God. It, it would, uh, the, the, the ink in the ocean would run dry. Because there's so much to say about the love of God. Nor would the scroll contain the whole, though stretch from sky to sky. Oh, love of God, how, how rich and, and how pure, how measureless and strong it shall forever endure the saints and angels' song. My friends, make sure you are characterized as one who beholds God's love when Jesus comes again.
May that not be a faint memory. May that not be a distant idea, but may it be fresh in your mind, fresh in your heart, so that when Jesus appears, when he comes, he will find you beholding the great love of God. John's final piece of apostolic advice is make sure you are purifying yourself. Make sure that there is ongoing self-purification. Make sure that you are continually self-cleansing yourself, cleaning yourself, purifying yourself. That's what John is getting at when he says at the beginning part of verse 3, that everyone who has his hope fixed on him, what does he do? Purifies himself. Ongoing self-purification, continually purifying himself, cleansing himself. But before John gets to that, he says in verse 2, he reminds them, he reiterates to them that they're children of God. Beloved, dearly loved ones. John is sharing his pastoral heart Dearly loved one, now, right now, John says, as I'm writing these words, right now, we are the children of God. John says, I'm a child of God. You readers are a child of God. Everyone who's a believer, right now, you are a child of God. Not you were a child of God, not you will be a child of God, but right now, John says, we are the children of God. We're part of the family of God, and we became a part of that family because of birth, being born again. But that's not the whole picture of salvation, even though that's wonderful. I I mean, I think I could live quite a while on just simply knowing that I'm a child of God. I, I think that would see me through a number of circumstances and situations just reflecting on and thinking about that right now. I'm a child of God. That's so good. But that's not the whole picture. John says it has not appeared yet what we shall be. <laughs> Did you hear that? God is not finished with us and just simply calling us the children of God. John says, we don't know what we're really going to be. It has not appeared. It has not come out what we shall be. But but, but he's saying, hey, some great things are coming. And, And John said, I can't articulate it. I can't write all of it. I can't tell you what we shall be. But one thing John says, I can tell you. John says, I can tell you. And you can say too, readers, we know that when he, Jesus, appears, we shall be like him. That gets good. I mean, it was one thing to say I'm a child of God. And even though I don't know everything that will be true of me in the future, one thing that John says with certainty, we know that we know that we know we shall be like him. That is astounding to my mind. That that Paul Felix, 
sinful Paul Felix, whom God in his grace has saved and made a part of his family. And God names me and calls me a child of God, which is so good. But John says the day is coming that when he, Christ, appears, that Paul Felix will be like Christ. According to Romans 8, verse 29, I'm to spend my whole life trying to be conformed to the image of Christ. If you're a genuine believer, what you want day in and day out, you want to be like Christ. You want to be conformed to his image. But the wonderful news is that the day is coming when he appears, when he comes, that you and I, we will be like Christ. We will be like him. And John says the reason why, and it just keeps getting better. It just keeps getting, the reason why, because we will see him. We will see him. We will see him face to face. We'll see him just as he is. It won't be like the experience of Moses, whom God hid in a rock and just kind of let his glory pass by. And Moses will only get a glimpse of God's glory. It won't be like that. But we will appear in the very presence of Christ, he will come to us and we will see him. We will see him, my friends. He's not a figment of my imagination. He's not wishful thinking. He's the one who's my life. He's my everything. And the promise is we will see him. Our eyes will lay hold of him, not as a newborn baby in a manger, not as some picture that somebody might paint of him, but we will see him just as he is in all of his glory, in all of his majesty. We will see him. We will see him. I'm sorry about bringing up all these songs. You know I would love to be able to sing, but I can't sing. All I can do is quote the songwriters. But as I was thinking on this, as I was meditating on this, the song that some of you don't know these people, but Sandy Patty and Larnell Harris used to sing back in the day. It was entitled, We Shall Behold Him. We shall behold him. Oh, we shall behold him. We shall behold him. Face to face. In in, in all of his glory. Oh, we shall behold him. Yes, yes, yes. We shall behold him. Face to face, our Savior and Lord. Oh, 
I don't know how to respond to that. But John tells us how to respond. He says, if that's your hope, if, if your hope is fixed on Jesus, if your hope is that you'll be like Jesus, if your hope is that you'll see Jesus as he is, then he said, I, I don't need you to go running around shouting, doing flips and praising and singing. John said, everyone who has his hope fixed on him purifies himself. Did you, did you hear that? Oh, don't tell me how much you want to see him. Don't tell me how much you want to be like him. Don't tell me how much you are set your hope on him. If it doesn't translate into your life where you're purifying yourself and using Jesus himself as the standard of purification. That's what John is getting at. Uh, when he appears, when, when he comes again, when we see him just as he is, when we become like him, we need to make sure at that point in time that we have been continually cleansing ourselves, dealing with sin in our life, not finding sin acceptable, but confessing our sins and forsaking our sins, killing our sins. Uh, removing by the help of the Holy Spirit the impurities that dirty our lives as Christians. Make sure, make sure that when he comes, you are purifying yourself. When he appears, that's not an eschatological issue. It's an ethical issue. It's not a matter of when he comes. It's a matter that he will come. And how am I living when he comes? Don't leave this service saying, well, will he come before the tribulation period, or during the tribulation period, or after the tribulation period. That ain't John's point. John said he's coming. He could have come in John's lifetime, but he didn't. He can come in our lifetime. And the question is, he's coming, and that means I must live a certain way when he comes. My life should be governed by the fact that Jesus can come at any moment. My thoughts, my words, my habits should be governed by the real reality that Jesus is coming again. In John's mind, it's inconceivable that a child of God would want to have Jesus appear and they shrink away at the appearance of Jesus. Because remember, he's painted two black and white choices. When Jesus comes, you can either have confidence and boldness or you can shrink away when he comes. John can't imagine that there's any person 
who is a child of God, who would say that they don't care how they are living when Jesus comes again, when he appears. And so that's why his apostolic advice to his readers, make sure you're abiding in Christ. Make sure that you are doing all that you can to have an intimate, personal, close relationship with Christ. Make sure you are practicing the spiritual discipline of Bible intake and prayer and worship, etc. Make sure your life can be summarized by the fact that you behold God's love. From this day on in your Christian life, may it be true of you that you are looking, that you are seeing, that you are beholding what great love the Father has bestowed upon you as a believer. John says, make sure, make sure that you are cleansing and purifying yourself. Make sure you're living a clean and pure life. Make sure you deal with the dirt and the filth in your life that sin brings. If you don't do that, then you can say what you want, but you have no hope set on Christ that you will be like him and that you will see him as he is. Child of God, Make sure you're abiding in Christ. Make sure you behold God's love. Make sure you are purifying yourself. Child of the devil. And I don't say that with a mean-hearted spirit. I'm just echoing the words of the Apostle John. Lord willing, we will see next Sunday that there are people who are children of God, but there are also people who are children of the devil. If you are a child of the devil, that is, you have not put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, if you're still dead in your trespasses and sins, you don't want Jesus to appear right now. You don't want him to come. God in his grace has given you the opportunity to repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ alone for salvation. So that's my plea with you. If your father is the devil, don't get mad with me. Don't get upset with me. Use this as an occasion to have God draw you to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the marvelous truth that Jesus will appear and that Jesus will come. And we pray that for those of us who are your children, that we might have boldness and confidence at the coming and appearance of Jesus. 
We pray, O oh God, that we would abide in Christ, that we will be beholding the love, your love toward us, and that we will be purifying ourselves so that we can have confidence, so that we can have assurance, so we can have boldness when you come instead of shrinking away from Christ at his appearing. Lord, help us by your grace and enablement to be spiritually ready when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. We realize that he might not come while we're alive. But Lord, even if we will were to die before the Lord comes, we will appear before you. And we want to appear before you, abiding in Christ, beholding your love, and purifying ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.